Volume Three, Chapter Five, of the Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mummy: A Tale of the Twenty-Second Century by Jane Loudon, Volume Three, Chapter Five the effect produced by the scene just described upon the minds of the multitude was magical it seemed to confirmation strong as proofs of holy writ of all that had been urged against the queen and alienated from her side even those who had remained neutral i really could not have believed it possible said the duke of exeter as he retired slowly from the court thinking as i think and as i am confident every one else must think or at least ought to think said lord gustavus she seems to have lost all sense even of common decency what do you say to this sir ambrose asked dr hardman triumphantly nothing replied sir ambrose sighing then the case is hopeless said the duke of exeter for i know sir ambrose so well that i am certain if a single word could be said in the queen's behalf he would not remain silent your grace judges me too favourably returned sir ambrose for the reason the contrary much to be said for the queen if i had been disposed to say it you see the story of her wishing to marry ferdinand was evidently false for she desired him in plain terms to quit the kingdom a mere blind cried lord gustavus who felt he had now gone too far to recede an absolute farce and i am only astonished a man of your penetration sir ambrose could have been deceived by it it has long been the proudest boast of the english law said sir ambrose that every one is presumed innocent until he be proved guilty and i confess i do not see why the queen should alone be made an exception to the rule lord gustavus made no reply and the party proceeded to their several homes the following day was appointed for the trial of lord edmund and the court was if possible yet more crowded than before for the singular termination of prince ferdinand's trial had created the most intense anxiety upon the part of the mob to know what would be the result of that of lord edmund it has been already stated that he was the idol of the people and now thousands of human voices shouted his praises to the sky and heaped curses and execrations upon his enemies the tumult however was hushed to breathless expectation when it was announced that the officers of justice were gone in search of the prisoner and innumerable human beings stood craning their necks over the lane made for his approach through the crowd all eager to catch the first glimpse of him but what language can express their disappointment and surprise when they saw the officers return pale and trembling fear painted upon their countenances and their teeth chattering in their heads he is gone they cried the prison door was locked and the windows fast but he is gone and doubtless some evil spirit has carried him off great was the consternation excited by this unexpected news every one rushed to the prison and each in turn was struck with horror on finding it exactly in the state the officers had described it is the mummy that has done this said the people whispering among themselves some horrible event certainly hangs over us 
it is in vain to attempt to resist our destiny all is supernatural and we are merely blind instruments in the hands of fate the disappearance of lord edmund had however nothing supernatural in it and indeed was effected by very simple means and mere mortal agents the agitation of his mind after his interview with caobs became excessive and every hour seemed stretched to an unnatural length as he anxiously awaited father morris's return but the monk came not lord edmund's impatience increased every instant till it became absolute agony yet still he was alone he paced his chamber with uncertain steps his brain burning with incipient madness till no longer knowing what he did he dashed his head against the walls and tore off his hair by handfuls in this state the jailer found him and reporting his condition his trial which was to have taken place previously to that of ferdinand was postponed in a few days to allow time for his recovery bleeding and blistering reduced lord edmund's fever but his soul was still on fire in the paroxysms of his disorder no less than in his lucid intervals one sole idea seemed to have taken possession of his fancy and he inquired incessantly if father morris were returned no no was the continual answer to his queries till the heart of the poor prisoner sickened within him at the sound at length he appeared well enough to take his trial and the day was fixed as we have already stated the mind of edmund now seemed tolerably composed but it was the stillness of apathy rather than that of resignation and on the night preceding the day fixed for his trial some of his former anxious and tormenting fantasies returned i will shake off this weakness said he i will read and drawing his chair near the fire he took up a book it was in vain however for though he read over the same page repeatedly he could not compose his mind sufficiently to comprehend its meaning he threw his book aside and fixing his eyes upon the fire was soon lost in gloomy meditations when a slight noise attracted his attention and looking round he saw a panel in the wall slowly detach itself and father morris appear in the aperture followed by another figure closely wrapped in a large black cloak father morris cried edmund is it indeed father morris or some kind spirit that has assumed his shape it is indeed i my son returned the priest and i come to rescue and console you methinks you come somewhat late father said edmund rather coldly for i have suffered much since i saw you others have suffered also resumed the monk and for your sake notwithstanding you have fancied yourself neglected and forgotten by all the world there is one human being who has never ceased to watch over you who thinks only of you who makes your happiness her only care and who would sacrifice her life to preserve yours edmund's heart beat and his cheeks glowed as he exclaimed and this kind friend is now before you interrupted the monk tearing aside the cloak which shrouded his companion and discovering rosabella rosabella exclaimed edmund a slight shade of disappointment passing over his features oh edmund cried rosabella throwing herself at his feet 
can't you forget that i have overstepped the bounds prescribed to my sex will you not hate me i do not blame you i were unworthy of the name of man if i could but father what says elvira have you delivered the chain she refuses either to see or hear from you cruel woman but perhaps she dreads to see me i know not but she treated your petition with contempt tell him said she it is not possible he can have aught to say that can interest me i will not hear his suit proud haughty princess but was this all no i again entreated her to see you when she turned from me in scorn and bade me leave her talk not to me of edmund cried she with a look of ineffable contempt has he not wounded ferdinand and would you have me forgive him a thousand deaths are not sufficient to punish such a crime what strange infatuation strange indeed for she has interrupted his trial and set him free besides which they say she has actually offered her hand and he has refused it yet still she dotes upon him to destruction go continued she when i had finished all i had to say and tell edmund that i neither hate nor despise him for he is incapable of exciting any emotion in my breast however if he wishes to make amends for this past conduct and be restored to my favour his first step must be humbly to beg pardon of the prince damnation cried edmund starting up fiercely she did not surely she could not say that indeed she did my lord then may ten thousand curses light upon me if i forgive her pardon of that wretch my slave my prisoner no sooner would i expire in horrid torments sooner be torn asunder by wild beasts pardon of that boy oh she could not mean it whilst edmund thus raved father morris and rosabella watched his torments with much of the same coolness as a french philosopher would those of an unfortunate animal upon which he was trying experiments no feeling of compassion entered their souls and they only waited to see the effect their words would produce it may easily be perceived that the whole scene with father morris related as having passed between him and elvira was a fabrication but lord edmund so not this for jealousy often throws a veil upon the eyes of its victims which gives a delusive colouring to everything they see thus lord edmund believed every word the father uttered and his whole frame trembled with agitation as he paced the room with hasty strides at last he threw himself upon a chair beg his pardon exclaimed he oh elvira elvira and he hid his face in his hands whilst the big tears trickled through his fingers and lord edmund the stern courageous soldier the philosopher the hero and the statesman wept actually wept like a feeble child oh edmund exclaimed rosabella approaching him and taking his hand i cannot bear to see you in distress would to heaven that by the sacrifice even of my life i could relieve you rosabella you will drive me to destruction not for worlds edmund on the contrary were i mistress of worlds i would cast them at your feet 
i know it i know it but spare me now spare you edmund spare what spare my reproaches mean you alas you need not fear them am i not devoted to you is it not for your sake that i have thus passed the boundaries of my sex are you disgusted with my boldness but no you will surely forgive me for my only motive has been to save you and my only hope of happiness is bound up in yours rosabella repeated edmund i believe that you love me love you oh heavens can you doubt my love i do not doubt it and this last action proves it more than words i have long done you injustice can you forgive me rosabella oh edmund exclaimed the princess whilst her full heart heaved almost to bursting and the tears streamed down her face i have been the victim of infatuation continued edmund i have loved a false and grateful woman who has betrayed me but i see my folly and if tears of penitence shed at your feet can earn my pardon if you will accept a broken bleeding heart oh edmund interrupted rosabella throwing herself into his arms say no more i am yours yours for ever your devoted slave not my slave rosabella said edmund gently disengaging her from him and placing her upon a chair but my wife my beloved wife your wife exclaimed rosabella edmund's wife am i indeed so blessed oh no surely it is a dream a fond delusive dream you cannot surely be serious is this a moment for jesting asked edmund calmly it certainly is not said father morris whose agitation had been nearly equal to their own and who had stood gazing upon them with looks of the fondest affection we must immediately escape or it will be too late it wants but two hours of daybreak and with the dawn lord edmund's trial will commence true true cried rosabella i had forgotten dearest edmund you must condescend to fly or your precious life will be sacrificed but how shall i escape through this panel a balloon waits at a little distance and this cloak will conceal your person from observation dear rosabella come come cried father morris we have no time to lose though ferdinand was acquitted you must fall for the state requires a victim lord edmund waited for no more the name of ferdinand was torture to him and hastily disencumbering himself of his chains he followed the father and rosabella from the prison he sighed however and looked back for a moment with regret ere he quitted the outer walls for he thought of elvira rosabella's quick ear caught the sigh and her subtle spirit divined its meaning but this was not a moment to complain and stepping into their balloon they were soon out of sight of london they proceeded to a palace of rosabella's a few miles out of town and there the following day edmund became her husband in the meantime the excessive agitation elvira experienced on the day of prince ferdinand's trial brought on a return of her fever and it was several weeks ere she was sufficiently recovered to leave her bed when she did so however she was really shocked at the state in which she found her kingdom when she first began to reign carried away by the enthusiasm of the moment 
she had taken too much of the executive part of the government upon herself and as her illness had been too sudden to allow her to appoint a regency no one knew who ought to supply her place all therefore was confusion and disorder and elvira shrunk disgusted from the chaos before her she had now no edmund to smooth the way for her and the native energy of her mind was gone pale heart-broken and dispirited she felt languid and incapable of the slightest exertion what had formerly been a pleasure was now become an overwhelming burden and the weight of life seemed insupportable she was now weary also of the fatigue necessary to carry on the plans she had projected for the benefit of her people at first when all seemed new and delightful she had devoted herself entirely to their interests she had denied herself even the most trifling pleasures and scarcely allowed herself the time absolute necessary for food and rest this was all very well whilst her plans had the charm of novelty and were supported by passion but now that novelty had worn off and they had assumed the dull wearisome appearance of duties when repeated disappointments had extinguished almost the hope of success and when she found her people expected nay demanded as a right that which she had originally granted them only as an especial mark of favour she discovered though too late the folly of the toils she had imposed upon herself she now also discovered that improvement to be effectual must be slow the people don't like to be forced out of old habits till they have seen the effect of new ones proved by experience and that nothing is so difficult as to improve people against their wills increase the resources of a country throw money into the hands of the middling and lower classes and they will improve themselves but at least nine-tenths of a population will never suffer themselves to be improved those only who have attempted this thankless and painful office can fully estimate the sufferings of the unfortunate elvira who disappointed in all she undertook found life become tasteless and insipid and was completely wretched though surrounded by all the gifts of beauty power and fortune everything seemed to conspire to increase her misery those whom she raised from indigence to affluence treated her with the most provoking insolence and discontent a plan which had been opposed by the lords gustavus de montfort and maysworth and which she had persisted in having tried had completely failed and the noble lords had triumphed in the most provoking manner in her disappointment in short everything went wrong and elvira disgusted with the world felt mortified and disgusted with herself how hard it is thought she frequently as she tossed upon her sleepless couch that i who since my accession to the throne have devoted myself entirely to the interests of my subjects should be thus wretched whilst tyrants who live but to oppress sleep quietly upon their beds of down alas why cannot i be as they are why cannot i divest myself of reflection and enjoy the pleasures which surround me but what pleasures can i enjoy alas the world presents nothing that can interest me an insipid vacuum spreads through all creation my heart is cold and desolate my affections are thrown back upon myself and i am miserable thus raved elvira and absorbed in painful meditations 
she neglected the duties of her station and resigned herself to despair whilst the people attributing her evident wretchedness to her grief for the absence of prince ferdinand who had left london immediately after his trial and had not since been heard of became every hour more and more discontented with their queen in the meantime the marriage of lord edmund though not openly avowed was generally suspected and the party of rosabella gained strength every day whilst mysterious rumours were whispered from mouth to mouth and diverse hints given that many knew more than they chose to say though from the immense number of these mystery mongers it seemed as in the celebrated scene in the barber of seville that every one was in the secret which nobody was to divulge the listlessness of elvira soon produced the most serious effect a kingdom without a government or rather a government without a chief cannot long go on well it is like a ship at sea without a pilot and it must founder upon the first rock which impedes its course when the vigour of government is from any cause relaxed there are always plenty of persons ready to take advantage of the opportunity afforded them to commit evil with impunity and crimes of every description multiplied so fast under the negligent sway of elvira that the people became clamorous in their complaints but to whom could they address themselves the queen was rarely visible lord edmund was gone and the lords of the council were too busy talking about the interests of the people to think of really attending to them whilst the duke and sir ambrose seemed too old to be likely to trouble themselves by intermeddling with an affair of state to them however the people looked as a dernier resort and as it seemed indelicate to apply to the duke when the person they complained of was his own daughter they entreated sir ambrose to present a petition to the queen in their behalf the worthy baronet acceded to their request and though almost bent to the earth by age and misery prepared once more to appear at court the loss of his beloved edmund had affected the old man deeply he considered his fight before trial as a confession of guilt and the thought of disgrace weighed down his great hairs with sorrow to the grave the distress of the people however roused him from the apathy into which he was fast falling and when he waited upon the queen it was with all the energy of his former years the queen received him sullenly i cannot help it sir ambrose said she i am sorry for my people but i cannot do anything to relieve them i feel that i am fast sinking into the tomb do not then disturb my last moments by fruitless solicitations last moments cried sir ambrose indignantly rally your energies and you may live half a century you give way to the morbid sensibility which oppresses you and because some of your hopes have been disappointed you shrink from the duties you have imposed upon yourself and talk of your last moments shame shame elvira rouse yourself from this lethargy and be indeed a queen remember that though nature has ordinarily denied your sex the power of triumphing in the field she has yet left a far greater conquest for you to achieve the conquest of yourselves for it is far more glorious to subdue the wayward desires of the human heart than to lead a score of monarchs captives in your chains struggle then with your feelings conquer those fatal passions which threaten to destroy you show yourself worthy of your crown and be again the elvira for whom even in her childhood i anticipated greatness it is too late 
interrupted the queen impatiently. "'It is now too late. Urge me no more, Sir Ambrose, or you will drive me to despair.' Sir Ambrose was provoked with her obstinacy, and a pause ensued, which was broken by a tumultuous noise and shouting. It was the people at the gates of the palace, who, impatient at the length of Sir Ambrose's stay, were now becoming clamorous for an answer. "'What shall I say to them?' asked the baronet. "'Tell them I deny their suit,' replied the queen. "'Away! Away! Away! I would be quiet. Go without reply. I will hear no more. I will not be tormented.' And waving her hand for him to depart, she hurried to her chamber. Finding there was no alternative, Sir Ambrose was compelled to appear before the people, and acquaint them with the will of their sovereign. The tumult became more violent as he spoke. An English mob is proverbially impetuous, and now their rage rose beyond control. "'The Queen! The Queen!' they shouted. "'We will see the Queen!' The crowd increased every moment. The multitude heaved in tremendous waves, like the rolling billows of the sea and the hum of thousands of human voices filled the air. They threatened to storm the palace. A man in complete armour, his face entirely concealed by his visor, headed their attempts. The outer gates were forced, and the throng rushed tumultuously into the court of the palace. All there was confusion. Soldiers might have been summoned, and the place defended, but there was no one to give orders and the servants ran to and fro in the greatest possible distress, without knowing either where they were going or what they intended doing. In the midst of this bustle, Elvira sat burying her face in her hands, and obstinately refusing to take the slightest interest in the scene. The door opened violently, and Sir Ambrose and some of her principal servants rushed in. "'For God's sake, save yourself!' cried they. "'If your majesty were safe!' We care not for ourselves. Fly! cried Sir Ambrose, throwing himself upon his knees before her, his white hair streaming almost to the ground. For God's sake, fly! It was too late, however, then, had the Queen been disposed to obey him, for as he spoke, the outer door burst open with tremendous violence, the palace seemed to shake to its foundation with a shock, and in an instant the chamber was filled by the infuriated populace. Seize the Queen! "'But do not injure her,' cried a voice that thrilled through every nerve of Sir Ambrose. "'Spare the old man. Do not hurt a hair of his head.' Sir Ambrose looked up. The voice came from the man in armour, but it was the voice of Edmund. A crowd of overwhelming thoughts rushed through his mind, and, overpowered by their weight, he sank senseless upon the ground. "'Take him away,' cried Edmund, for it was he indeed. "'Take him away.' but see that ye hurt him not. He dies that injures him. Edmund! cried Elvira, struck also by his voice. To prison with her! exclaimed he. To prison, Edmund! Do you doom your queen to prison? Is it thus you treat your sovereign? I owe no sovereign here but Rosabella. But by what right can she be called your sovereign? By that which made you queen, the voice of the people. It lies with them to crown or to dethrone. Oh, Edmund, mercy! Away with her, I'll hear no more. The guards seized upon the unfortunate Elvira, and in spite of her entreaties, hurried her away. Edmund did not trust himself to look at her. For a moment he hid his face in his hands. Then, rousing himself, he exclaimed, 
now to proclaim the queen the people followed him with shouts of applause and before evening edmund and rosabella were unanimously acknowledged as king and queen of england End of chapter five of volume three